All of us at one time or another in our lives have had the experience of watching some tragedy in a movie or at the theater and suddenly feeling that lump in our throat and that we were crying without even realizing it. But then we realize that it's just a story on the screen or stage. There's nothing real about it. But if it's not real, why are we affected so much? A great picture, a great musical composition, a great book, a great tragedy on the stage affects us because each one is a stand-in for all the sorrows of the world. The actors are only pretending It's a story that never really happened, but it strikes a chord in us because it represents the sadness that is part of our story. Things that did happen, and if we were honest, things that will happen again. Romeo and Juliet isn't about the Capulets and the Montagues, it's about love gone terribly wrong. Hamlet isn't about Hamlet. It's about man's indecision. King Lear isn't about a monarch. It's about human ingratitude. Art represents for us, by a single imaginary instance, some eternal problem, some situation that keeps coming up over and over and claims our tears not for the hero or the heroine of a story, not for the plot or the story itself, but for ourselves. When we set before our minds every year the tragedy of Calvary, we are, in a sense, spectators, but spectators at a very different level. The passion is not a made-up event. It is an historical record of fact. But this particular historical tragedy isn't a mere representation of sins and sorrows of the world that somehow illustrates their meaning. It sums up and contains within itself all of the sins and sorrows of the world that ever have been and ever will be. It doesn't just remind us of the torture of the just. It includes them. It doesn't demonstrate the injustices of the world. It contains them. Jesus Christ hanging upon the cross is the head of our redeemed humanity. All the world's sins are His punishment. All the world's sorrows are his crown. Now, there are those who say that the story of Calvary isn't really a tragedy because our Lord had no weakness in him, no blind spot, no limitations. After all, we believe that he is God. He has a divine as well as a human nature. But yet, 
He wanted to die. Oblatus est quia ipse voluit. He handed over himself because he willed it. He wanted to die. Not by bringing about his own death, not because he did anything to deserve death, not by putting human pressure on all those people who wanted to see his death. All through the story, his enemies are free agents. All through the story, he can save himself, but he doesn't. I mean, he could have hidden himself after the Last Supper instead of keeping an appointment with his betrayer in Gethsemane. But he doesn't. He's dragged before the high priest where the case against him was falling apart for lack of witnesses, and he'll be saved if he just keeps silence. But he speaks. He's taken before Pilate, where all he has to do to save himself is to speak before the man who can free him and doesn't want to see him suffer, and he doesn't speak. We want to say that nothing about this tragedy is his own fault, yet at every turn his undoing is his own doing. And then we remember that because he is God, he could have commanded legions of angels who were at the ready to intervene and deliver him. But he gives no such command. He could have blinded his captors, fling wide the doors open of his prison. He could have come down from the cross, but he chose not to. He prayed that the chalice of suffering might pass by, but he doesn't lift a finger to cast it aside. Because he wanted to die. But it wasn't a single human being, it was all host of them that brought him to death. The greed of Judas, the hatred of Caiaphas, the cowardice of Pilate, the screams of a mob. Yet all of them could have made up an excuse to try to get themselves off the hook for their part in our Lord's death. Judas could have pleaded that he was just trying to use the money for a better purpose. Caiaphas could have argued that he was just following the letter of the law. Pilate could have said that he was trying to avoid greater unrest and bloodshed. They all had an excuse, if they wanted one. Yet there he hangs, the supreme victim of all the world's injustice, betrayed, persecuted, condemned. Someone traced the cruel scars on his shoulder. Someone plaited the mocking crown of thorns. Someone drove in hard nails through twitching hands and quivering feet. Someone 
has thrust the last sword through the virgin mother's heart. Someone has taken her master from the Magdalene. Can you honestly tell me that what happened to Jesus was just an unfortunate incident and no one is really to blame? When you and I deliberately consent to mortal sin, we repeat the tragedy of Calvary. We too have our Judas, our Caiaphas, our Pilate. There is no mortal sin without all of them present because they are inside of us. Our Judas is the occasion of sin. Judas's offer to deliver Jesus into the hands of the chief priest comes at exactly the right time. The occasion of sin comes to us right when we most want it. Of course it does. Do we think that the devil wastes his time tempting us when there is no appeal? What rich man steals? What sick man wants sins of the flesh? What cheerful man wants to commit suicide? In the satanic economy, demand creates supply, just as the demand for a traitor created a traitor out of Judas. Our Caiaphas is passion. The chief priests had desired, with great desire, to bring down Jesus, but they didn't have a way to do it. So their anger and their hatred fed upon itself until they could find an effective way to translate their dream of killing the Son of Man into reality. Our passions, they're just like theirs, surging, undisciplined. We neglect prayer and the sacraments. We fail to guard the heart and the eyes, and so everything in us is out of control. And surprise, surprise, when those passions are at their height, the traitor appears right at the door with an offer that we can refuse but don't. We are prepared to crucify our very God. But even at that point, we still haven't committed a mortal sin that kills the soul. The one box left to check, reason. The intellect God gave us to know right from wrong, that's Pilate, our practical reason. Without its consent, the verdict of our unruly passions can still say no. But they surge around it, clamoring, insisting, demanding. Reason can still say no. Ordinarily, reason can see straight and judge true. But as the passions swirl, the vision of the heart 
is clouded, and we put up an ineffective, merely formal resistance. Very well then, have it your way. We give up. And the decree is signed. When we put the sinful thought into act, it's just the same as when Pilate orders his soldiers to take Jesus away to crucify him. Which is more worthy of more blame? The Judas occasion of sin that bound us out? the Caiaphas passions which responded to the occasion, or the pilot of reason that failed to stop the madness. You know, at that point, it doesn't matter. We have pierced the heart of Christ. And all that time, He freely gives Himself an acquiescent prisoner into our hands as his jailer. As he allows himself to be crucified by Pilate, he allows himself to be blasphemed, dishonored, and neglected in the Blessed Sacrament. He dwells in our heart when we are in the state of grace, ready at any moment to be betrayed, persecuted, condemned once again. His grace will warn us, plead with us, protest with us, but He will never once take away our freedom to do the right. Even when we abuse that freedom to do the wrong, He gives Himself into our hands. So, no, we are not just spectators at Calvary. Judas, Caiaphas, Pilate, they're all one in us. But, but, and this is the important part, each one of us can rewrite that tragedy in our own name if we just have the heart to do it.